Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to the Bible Crossfire radio program. If you want to call in and get in the crossfire, ask a Bible question, make a Bible comment. As the announcer said, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open if you want to call in with a Bible question. 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on that first call, I thought we'd talk tonight about how that obedience, the the requirement that we obey God to be saved, actually, affects a lot of other issues. We've been talking about a number of Bible issues the last eight or ten weeks, and I thought we'd go back and review them somewhat in relation to this idea that we have to obey God to be saved. Now, let me prove that for a minute, that you have to obey God to be saved. Here's Matthew 7, 21, and we're going to be reading a lot of verses to, to this extent as we go through the program. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So you have to do the will of the Father who is in heaven in order to go to heaven. And this, but, but a lot of preachers, a lot of churches teach that you don't have to obey God, contradict Matthew 7, 21, what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. And then in the, in the, what's, what's bad about that is not only are they teaching false doctrine, but it affects all these other issues. When they teach you don't have to obey God, it affects other issues, some of which we've been talking about the last eight or 10 weeks. For example, the issue of do you have to be baptized to be saved? Jesus made it pretty clear that you do. He said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But this idea that you don't have to obey God in order to be saved, it kind of, it's a false idea. And what it does is it it causes people to reject what Jesus said about baptism, the necessity of baptism to salvation in Mark 16, 16. Because if if he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved is true, that would mean not only do you have to believe, but you also have to be baptized. And baptism is obedience. And we certainly don't want to believe that think that you got to obey God to be saved. And so they just rule out baptism because of their theory that you don't have to obey to be saved. They want to teach instead salvation by faith only. By definition, salvation by faith only says obedience is not necessary. Obedience is not necessary. It's by faith only. You see what I mean? Let's look at another passage. The first part of 1 Peter one twenty two says, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So you don't pure, get purification from sin just by believing. This says you purify your souls, you get purification from your sins by obeying the truth. And that's why Jesus said what he said in Mark 16, 16. It's not faith only. It's not he that believeth shall be saved. He that believeth only is he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But if you don't pay attention to verses like, Verses like First Peter one twenty two that you purify your souls in obeying the truth, then you're going to reject passages like Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. How about another passage that clearly teaches you have to obey Christ to be saved? Talking about Jesus, it says, "Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him." Well, do you have to obey Christ to be saved? Yeah. Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. No doubt about that. His death provides it. But it only comes to those that obey him. He's the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Clearly teaches you have to obey Jesus to be saved. But people will reject that. They won't pay attention to verses like that. 
because they they don't want to understand, they don't want to see the fact that the Bible teaches that that you have to obey God to be saved. And as I said, it rubs off into other issues, other questions. For example, the issue of once saved, always saved. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. A lot of churches teach that once you become a Christian, it's impossible for you to lose your salvation, that you can't fall from grace. But notice Galatians 5, 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. <laughs> well, you can't fall from a tree unless you're in a tree. You can't fall from grace unless you're in grace. So here's some people that were in grace. They were saved. They fell from grace. They're not saved anymore. They lost their salvation. That verse is crystal clear. There's nothing ambiguous about it. But the teaching that you don't have to obey God influences people to believe in what's saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you always, once you're saved, according to them, you don't have to obey at all. It's impossible to lose your salvation no matter how you live. (laughs) But a lot of people want, want to teach that you're Saved by faith only, of course, but James 2.24 says, you see them have that by works, a man is justified and not by faith only. Why do they want to teach you're saved by faith only? Well, they want to teach that because they want to rule out the fact that obedience is necessary. But this verse says, by works, a man is justified and not by faith only. They want to say salvation is by faith only, but notice 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you not only have to know God to be saved to avoid going to the bad place. That means believe in him, trust in him. You also have to obey the gospel. Obedience is also necessary. James from Virginia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, Patrick, this is your your old friend James from Virginia. We used to talk about a year and a half ago. Oh, I remember you, James. Yeah, yeah. how, how are you, you doing? doing? How's your, are you still studying with Chad? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure okay. am. Sure am. Hey, I'm curious. I wanted to get your opinion on a on a verse, uh, I mean, on a passage. Uh, it's uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 5 through 14, where Paul's talking about... Uh, about Paul and Apollos, uh, how they were they were laborers uh, together, and uh, then he talks about how there will be a judgment. It says, "Every work in thirteen, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And then, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward." In the context of that passage, Chad, I mean um, Patrick, do you think it's uh, only talking about Christian, full-time Christian workers like Paul and Apollos, or do you think that passage refers to any believer? It refers to any believer. Mm-hmm. And what it's talking about, the works there are not your personal works, James. They're your converts. It's talking about any believer. It could be talking about a preacher, but any believer trying to convert somebody, that mm-hmm. is, in that context, is his work, his work. Mm-hmm. And so if his when he converts people, what the passage in 1 Corinthians 3 is saying, that if his converts, his work, if they fall away, he won't be lost because his converts fall away, okay? But he'll be tested the same way they are. You know, he'll have to be tried by fire. His, he'll have to, he has to trust and obey, but he's not going to be lost because his converts 
don't stand the test of fire. You follow me, James? Well, he says, you know, in verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Um, do you th- so, like, obviously, Paul was the one that got them saved. And, uh, and then Apollos, I guess, caused them to grow, right? He watered. Right. That's that's the analogy, I think. You're right. Yeah, but, look at it. but really, it takes God to do the, the in, in the in the final analysis, it, t- it takes God to give the increase. And what he means by that, James, is is mm-hmm. that no matter how much we teach, and even if we are the best teacher in the world, the person that you're trying to teach still has a choice about whether or not they accept the mm-hmm. truth. So yeah. you cannot accomplish the work all by yourself. They have a choice. They It's the power of the gospel that mm-hmm. really does the work. For the gospel is the power of God in the salvation, Romans 1.16. So it's God that really gives the increase because what we're talking about is people have free will. You can't force them. You can't shoot them with a gun. Does that right. make sense, James? It, it does. I think the only the big, big question I had on this, Patrick, was within the context, you know, of Paul and Apollos. I didn't know if this passage was only talking about full-time Christian workers or if it was talking about any believer. Well, all believers are to at least to some extent to get out there and try to convert their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, every Christian is supposed to be planning or watering. They're supposed to be teaching the gospel. Acts 8, verse 4 is talking about the whole church, and it says they went everywhere preaching the word, Acts 8, 4. And that was every Christian that was uh, at that time. It wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just the official preachers, every Christian. And so in the sense that all Christians are trying to share the gospel with their neighbor, then this passage would apply to all Christians. Does that make sense, James? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, one of the two alternatives, you know, so I can understand your position on it. I'm not necessarily supporting the other alternative either. I'm just wanted to get your feelings about it. So, that's James, good. thanks well, for your call. It. Appreciate yeah, your call. I'll be. If anybody has a Bible question or comment, give us a call at eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, and that was a very good question, is eight seven seven six five five. Six seven five five. You know, another issue that we've been talking about over the last six or eight or ten weeks is the issue of women preachers. The Bible is crystal clear on that. There's no ambiguity whatsoever. First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five says, "Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything." Let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, now we're nobody saying it's wrong for a lady to teach a lady's Bible class or children. But when the church comes together, that's what this is talking about. Clearly, they're not supposed to be one doing the preach, the preaching, the sermon from the pulpit is what is in our vernacular. Three times it says it. Let your women keep silence in the churches. Not wrong for them to talk in Burger King, but when they're in the church, the church assembly, keep silence. It's not permitted unto them to speak, verse 34. And at the end of verse 35, it's a shame for women to speak in the church. I can't think of a verse that's any clearer on any subject than this verse is on the subject of women preachers, as we commonly talk about that issue. Yet, I've been told 75% of churches across the United States and Canada allow women to speak from the pulpit. Why? I believe part of it goes back to their de-emphasis of on obedience. They don't really teach that obedience is important. They don't teach that you have to obey God. 
And so because they don't teach that you really have to obey God, then it becomes more important to obey political correctness in this case than important to obey God. And that's, after all, I think everybody can admit that's really why churches allow women to preach. It's not because they find in the Bible that women preach from the pulpit. It's because they bow down to the pressure of political correctness. Society's going to frown on them if they don't, quote, let the women take a leading role, if they don't let them preach. And so they succumb to the pressure of political correctness. They think it's more important to obey political correctness than they do. They think it's important to obey God. And that's because it's not ingrained in them the truth that we see in a number of these passages that you have to obey God, that that's the of utmost important. You ought to obey God rather than men in anything. Revelation twenty two fourteen teaches us that. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. What city is he talking about? Well, he's talking about heaven there. In, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had access to the tree of life. As long as they could partake of that, they were going to live physically forever. In heaven, we'll have access to the tree of life. We'll be able to live spiritually forever. But who has the right to go there, go to heaven? Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they have, may have a right to that. So you have to do his commandments to go to heaven. So people, if they'll just understand that it's absolutely required that we obey God, it's not enough just to believe. Belief is great. We have to believe. But if you really believe Jesus is the son of God, that means he's our authority, our ultimate authority. And we're going to do what he says. And so it doesn't matter what political correctness is. We're not going to let women preach from the pulpit because we're going to obey God rather than men. John from Oklahoma, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, I was just listening about baptism. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the living Christ, my Lord and Savior. He died on that cross and paid my sin debt. That that isn't enough to save me. It, baptism, it takes more than Jesus to, to save you, is what you're saying with baptism. What if I were to say this, John? Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and so therefore we don't have to believe in Christ because because if, if I say that you have to believe in Christ to be saved, that means it takes more than Jesus dying on the cross to save me. You wouldn't think too much of that reasoning, would you, John? Well, I, yeah, I you're you're using that exact same re you're reasoning you're using that exact same reasoning to rule out baptism. If if the fact that Jesus paid it all that He died on the cross and that's all that it takes for us to be saved, if that rules out baptism, then that would also rule out us having to believe in order to be saved. Why would it rule out baptism in our, on our part and not belief? The truth well, of the I, matter I, is, is that the truth of the, go ahead, John. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Well, like John three sixteen, you know, whoever believes, yeah. you know. Yeah. But you notice it didn't say belief only, did it? In 13, whoever yeah, but you know, John three sixteen did not say believe only, did it? But Mark sixteen sixteen, which we've already read, John said, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So it takes both. In Acts two thirty eight, Peter told some believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So you got to get baptized to get the forgiveness of sins. Ananias told Saul in Acts twenty two sixteen, Saul had already believed three days earlier, but he wasn't saved when he believed on the road to Damascus because Ananias told him in Acts two twenty twenty two sixteen, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. So 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 we all agree, John, that it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. The question is when, and when did it happen for Saul when he believed on the road to Damascus? 
John, or were his sins washed away when he was baptized in Acts twenty two sixteen? Well, let me read you that verse again. It says, "Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins." Now he had already believed three days before. So when were his sins washed away by the blood of Christ, John? When he believed three days before, or when Ananias told him to be baptized to get his sins washed away? Well, Ananias told him to be baptized. Then. So to get his sins washed away. When I was a ten-year-old, ten or eleven years old, went to a Baptist church, and I've always believed Jesus was my Lord and Savior, and died on that cross, and paid my sin debt and all. But I mean, I, I'm seventy-three years old, uh, and I didn't always live a real Christian life. You know, I've been a sinner, and of course, in the last hey John, let, days, let me, so let me call I, you later and con- let me call yeah, you later yeah. and continue this conversation. I appreciate that. I'm going to call you later so we can continue that conversation. You know, another passage that teaches you got to be baptized to be saved. I won't read the whole thing due to lack of time, but 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism doth also now save us. And we know for 100% sure by the context, it's talking about water baptism. Baptism doth also now save you. Another issue we talked about in the last several weeks is divorce and remarriage. Jesus said in Matthew 19.9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. I think this passage is pretty easy to understand. It's saying, look, if I divorce Carol for any reason other than the fact that she cheats on me sexually, then that's wrong for me to divorce her. I can only divorce her for for fornication. If I divorce her for any other reason, that's wrong. And if I remarry, the second marriage is adulterous. A lot of people, a lot of churches will will say, I think what they're really doing is they're saying this. This is the ideal. They'll admit this is the ideal. One woman, one man for one woman for life. But that's the ideal. But if we don't comply, if we don't obey Matthew 19, 9, we're okay anyway. You see the problem? They really don't think you have to obey God. They really don't think it's important to obey God. They just think when Jesus said this, that if you divorce your wife for any reason other than fornication and remarry, you commit adultery. They just think, well, that's the ideal. But if we don't actually do that, we're still going to be okay with God. The problem is they don't really think you have to obey God. That's the problem is they're teaching that obedience is not necessary. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. 877-655-6755. Doesn't a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 teach clearly we have to obey God to be saved? It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So there's going to be a judgment day. On the judgment day, we're not just going to be judged based upon whether or not we believe in Christ. That's definitely going to be a factor. But it says you're going to be judged based upon what you did in your body, whether it was good or bad. So obviously, obedience is necessary to salvation. Not just belief only, but what you did is you're going to be judged based upon that, according to this verse. And if you believe God, then that's the truth. It wouldn't matter how many preachers teach you that all you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you'll be saved. The passages I'm reading tonight prove that you not only have to trust God, you have to obey him. Tim from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, uh, I know that God doesn't forgive anyone unless you ask to be forgiven. Is that right? 
Tim, I, I'm not sure I understood you. That you can be God, forgiven for your sins, but you have to repent of your sins, right? You see, so should we forgive someone even if, if they don't ask to be forgiven? If someone does something to you, should you go ahead and forgive them, or do they have to ask you to forgive them? Luke 17.3 says this. This is Jesus talking. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, Forgive him. Does that answer your question, Tim? So they have to repent or ask to be forgiven before you have yeah, to forgive our, our, That's exactly right. We're supposed to forgive others just like God does. And so he forgives people based upon repentance. And so we are to forgive others based upon their repentance. We're to always be anxious and willing to repent, forgive them. But we don't want to re- forgive them, Tim, uh, before they repent because that would give them false hope. They would think they're forgiven by God in a right relationship with God when they're not really forgiven. You see what I mean, Tim? How about somebody like in the church? Should you forgive them no matter what? Or do you have to let them repent and ask for forgiveness too? Well, love you, Tim. I already answered that question. Luke 17, verse 3. Rosie, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Um, uh, you were talking about a husband putting his wife away and uh, and he gets with another uh, then he he commits adultery, or does the wife he left commit such adultery? In my case, uh, uh, my husband abandoned me, and and uh, he was an abuser and left me. He consequently got married to somebody else, um, and then I got married to somebody else after, after he left me. But I had I didn't know this part of the gospel at that time. A few years ago, he passed away, and. Um, and so I have not been married since uh, when I came across the scripture. In my case, um, I, would it be said for me to remarry since my first husband passed away, even though he got married again? And my second husband also Wait a minute, Rosie, you broke up a little bit. What happened to your second husband? My second well, husband... Rosie, we got a bad connection, but let me read. If your husband, if if your husband dies, you have a right to remarry. Romans seven, verses two and three, says, "For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead," She is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Rosie, I'm going to try to call you later when we can get a good connection. Connie from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, uh, you were talking about uh, baptism being part of salvation. Well, what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. Yeah, you know, what law did the thief on the cross live under? Do you know, Connie? Did he live under the Old Testament uh, law or the New Testament law? Well, you know, that's a good question. I want to say the Old Testament. Well, yeah, the Old Testament. Hard. Let me that's read to you. If Ooh. Let me read to you Hebrews nine fifteen through 17. You're right. It says, for this cause, he, talking about Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that my means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, 
it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. My point, Connie, is that this New Testament is what requires baptism to be saved. And that New Testament didn't go into effect until after Jesus died on the first day of Pentecost, many days after the thief died. The thief didn't have to be baptized, Connie, for the same reason that Adam and Eve didn't have to be baptized. Moses, Abraham, uh, Noah didn't have to be baptized. The Old Testament didn't teach people had to be baptized. Does that answer your question, Connie? Well, yeah, it does. I'm not sold on it, but it answers my question. I, I, you know, hey, I, Connie, really, I'm going uh-huh. to go off the air. I'm going to try to call you later okay. so we can continue our conversation. Okay. Thank you for your call. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Hey, I've got to go off the air, but if I have a website, BibleCrossFire.com, you can go there and send me an email if you have further questions or want to have further discussion, or sign up for an online Bible correspondence course. I'll listen to old programs. Go to BibleCrossFire.com. 